You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz. And while I am an attorney, the Buzz Off show is not legal advice. Instead, it's a weekly look at all the buzz surrounding drones, autonomous vehicles, Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. Find us each Wednesday on AmericasWebRadio.com from 2 to 3 in the afternoon, or find the Lawyer Liz podcast available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite i uh, streaming service. And when we talk about on the Buzz Off Show different topics, of course we have to go into the bust or must list, but today's show is going to be somewhat exciting for all the folks following the buzz surrounding drones, hacking, and no-fly zone software. In fact, there was a DJI Spark that had been jailbroken and was for sale on eBay. Well, the man behind all the research that and uh, a lot of the publicity lately is He describes it, the arm-waving Kevin Finisterre will be joining us later in the show to talk about what he's been working on, how it helps, and where do we go from here securing the software and operations of drones. So before we get to that, though, a quick look at all of the technology buzz, busts, or musts, and a topic we had touched on before with the high school STEM robotics competitions. Well, the first must is a kudos and tip of the hat to all of the robotics teams that were competing in the first global challenge in DC, but even more so a team, an all girls team from Afghanistan that had been on a bit of a roller coaster of a ride, initially told they weren't going to be able to compete there after numerous equipment delivery delays. These scrappy girls took together, crafted their own robots, and after two different uh, visa denials, the president granted them entry, and they were able to compete with the other 162, so 163 teams total competed in DC and recognition went to the Afghan team for a courageous achievement award. Unfortunately, they didn't win. Instead, the Poland took, Polish team took first place. And unfortunately as well, the U.S. team was a little bit of a bust in 155th place out of 163. But at the same time, all of the teams, kudos for competing there. And one thing that tends to be a little bit of a bust, or at least in this case, a uh, perhaps a sad commentary before you start complaining about drowning on your job. A security robot in Washington, D.C. managed to, as some would say, drown itself in its sorrows or 
run into a fountain causing catastrophic failure. So in this case, the five foot, 300 pound robot did not enjoy being a security guard and decided to end it all. So if you want some humorous, uh, looks at tributes to the poor working robot, go find it online. They are there and quite funny as you might imagine. But before we put too much faith in robots, we need to well, also get our streaming services. Uh, everything is about the data these days and bandwidth and capacity. Well, HBO learned the hard way that perhaps it's a badge of honor, but for any of the Game of Thrones fans who were trying to stream the season show opener this earlier this week, then it was a bit of a bust because too many people trying to go on the HBO uh, streaming service caused it to crash a couple of times during the Game of Thrones season premiere. So, uh, you know, even HBO gets it wrong on occasion and uh, a lesson learned perhaps on your own popularity. But after a bust with that, a bust perhaps for Tesla on the eve of a must, another Tesla crash. In this case, the driver was not blaming the autopilot, instead claiming error or own driver error. But it comes as Tesla is on the cusp of releasing their latest, some folks call the mass market version of the car. The $35,000 Tesla Model 3 will be coming out. And as folks are pointing out or noting that as a thank you to employees, the first recipients of the car will be employees. So if you're on the wait list, you may have a little bit longer to wait, but it is coming and will be a test to see whether Tesla has a little more success with the mass market versions. Well, one thing that uh, with the 4th of July and all of the, as we highlighted last week, all of the fun with drones and fireworks a reminder that uh, not all fireworks and not all lasers should be displayed uh, or should be left to the professionals. In this case, this week's, another one of this week's bus goes to, well, a gentleman in Johns Creek, Georgia, because he learned the hard way that pointing a laser at a helicopter or an airplane is illegal. And it doesn't matter if you were, quote, unquote, testing the range of your uh, brand new laser pointer. Instead, well, when you point it at the police helicopter, they're not amused. And not only are they not amused, but law enforcement used... uh, infrared video in the cockpit to basically capture footage of the gentleman and using their various resources were able to track him down and arrest him and charge him with pointing his laser pointer because, well, 
It is dangerous, and there have been reports and incidents of pilots having their vision affected. And while kind of fun, leave the laser light show, you know, a reminder, leave it to the professionals. If you're in the Atlanta area during the summer, leave it to the folks over at Stone Mountain and not to your own backyard laser light display. But not everything that is coming from drones is always cringeworthy. But in this case, after numerous reports of similar incidents or various drones being used for law enforcement contraband, yet another story coming out at this time of South Carolina right at the beginning of July on a drone being used to help with a prison break. In this case, the South Carolina inmate is reported to have a little more high-tech. Apparently, this gentleman, Mr. Causey, is known for his prison breaks. But in this case, uh, he used a drone, allegedly, uh, broke free from maximum security prison with a drone dropping uh, wire cutters. So, well, didn't quite bake a cake, but in this case, uh, he was, the drone used wire cutters to drop down, or to drop down the wire cutters, and luckily Mr. Causey was later found at a Motel 6 in Austin, Texas. So it's a reminder that, one, drones can be used for nefarious or illicit purposes, but also used for good, that there are several wildfires raging in various areas out west where drones are coming to the rescue and being used to help uh First responders spot uh, issues and kind of keep up. But one of the things it is a reminder is that if you're flying drones uh, on your own, then what you don't want to do is get in the way of law enforcement officials with flying because that does create a ground stop if hobbyists are in the same area. And one of the comments is that, you know, again, not everybody needs to be a home journalist and a home photographer, that several different entities and organizations, and whether the drones are actually being used to help or hinder, it is hard to identify when it's a hobbyist drone or without coordination with law enforcement officials, whether it is an official drone. So several states and local uh, municipalities are looking at ways they can identify the drones and kind of keep up with traffic management, but also look at ways they can uh, enact flight restrictions and ground them. So unfortunately, it would be a couple of hobbyists flying where they shouldn't be over the wildfires that would hinder uh, the fun for everyone else and just blanket uh Blanket prohibitions. So that's one thing that has been struggled because 
many of the folks are relying, in some cases, on the geofencing, setting up uh, parameters with DJI or other manufacturers that pro- would prohibit flights in certain areas. Downside to that, as Kevin will talk about uh, in our interview and discussion that geofencing is not an end-all, be-all. We've highlighted on the show before some of the dangers with relying too heavily on geolocational data. Sometimes it's wrong, and sometimes software can be manipulated, or it can be hacked, or it just had bad data, trash in, trash out, or garbage in, garbage out is a familiar concept to anyone in the coding or software manufacturing, but it also applies when it comes to heavy reliance on drones and applications there. So you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz. I'm your host, Lawyer Liz, and we come back from the break. We'll chat and discuss all the latest drone software hacking buzz with Kevin Finisere, but you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. And as promised before the break, you can't talk about drones and security and any of the fun stuff, especially coming out of the 4th of July holidays, without bringing onto the show the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, but Kevin Finisterre has been playing around and tinkering with the drone air unmanned systems for, gosh, five, six, ten years, as long as you have owned them. Because Kevin is not one to uh, fail to ask the question why. So as a pilot and researcher focused on hardware and software designs, Kevin started kicking the tires on drones quite a few years ago, and it went downhill from there. And so, Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing well. So you've been a busy, busy bee lately, uh, creating lots of buzz. Uh, what what did you release just before the, uh, I'd say, July summer doldrums? I put out an exploit that uh, I, I titled Red Herring, uh, kind of to go on the, the, the play of the current security community uh, in feeling that apparently a bug isn't relevant unless it's got a, you know, a branded name to it. 
but that name specifically has some background to it. Uh, there was a, a gentleman named POV uh, that had been hinting around on various uh, forums related to DJI aircraft that he had jailbroken uh, this drone and that it ran Android KitKat. And in particular, it was the, the DJI Mavic that he was speaking of. Um, and so that- what does that mean? If if I have jailbroken my DJI Mavic, uh, in other words, I have had a little fun and added some stuff. I mean, what was POV intimating he'd done? So, you know, that term comes out of the, you know, cell phone community and, you know, rooting and taking control of phones to open up features that aren't necessarily available or that the vendors uh, have, have disabled before they ship them. Uh, and sometimes the carriers make changes that you know, the end users can't control. So it's basically a way to take control over a, a, a device uh, that, that you're using. Uh, and, and it's more commonly been associated with phones. Uh, but is the, the, the term has been expanding to more and more uh, devices, you know, Internet of Things, if you want to use that, that loosely. So he basically took his you know, DJI Mavic and really cracked it open and added some additional, let's say, flair. What what was so different about, I mean, people add modifications to software, as you pointed, on cell phones for years. But when we start talking about drones that are being used, I mean, they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. And both at a professional level as well as a hobbyist level, why do we care about the red herring? I mean, is it a distraction or is it really a deeper, more troubling development? It is uh, honestly kind of me waving my arms around. Uh, part of it is you know, distraction and the fact that there's a bit of comedy to it, but there's definitely a deeper message there. Um, and to be clear about POV stuff, he actually was very cryptic and, and didn't give us anything directly, uh, short of the file system off of the drone, uh, which confirmed that he had indeed rooted it and that it actually was based on Android KitKat. Um, but beyond that, he just left a trail of really loose messages. Uh, one that a lot of people chased for a while was that there was a FTP directory transversal bug uh, that was exploited to change startup settings to enable Android debugging uh, so that you could use the ABB shell, which is like gold for you know, phone rooting and whatnot. Uh, but nobody could figure out how he did it. So that's kind of what started me off down this path was trying to figure out exactly uh, what it was that he was talking about, because it was obviously clear that he had done something, but nobody could figure out how he did it. And that's where the name Red Herring originally came from, because it was pretty clear to me that he was leaving Red Herrings laying all over the place. So once you started breaking or delving a little bit deeper into it, what were some of the things you discovered? Because a lot of systems or a lot of local governments, companies, everyone is basing on the assumption that one DJI and other drones, I mean, not just to pick on DJI, but that all of these aircraft and the software and systems are quote-unquote secure. And as long as you're meeting the factory setting, you're leaving the factory settings as is, no problem. You can geofencing other things. So what were some of the, as you started to play around with 
this research as a starting point, what did you start discovering? Why do we care about the red herring and the arm waving? Well, so the part of this is that uh, you need to have a secure system in context for DJI uh, because of of GEO, which is their system to, uh, as they say, advise end users that they are uh, possibly not in compliance with local regulations on where they should fly. Um, and while they're advising you, they go on to enforce this advisory by allowing you to not arm your props, um, you know, depending on how close you are to an airport or I believe forcing you to land, you know, if you hit a certain gradient uh, of degrees and in, in you're closest to the airport and whatnot. So in my humble opinion, in order to, uh, you know, have that system function, uh, it actually has to be secure. It can't be security theater. Um, the problem is, is that uh, a lot of people, I believe governments included, um, and asset operators and owners, uh, possibly ignorantly believe that geo and geofencing uh, specifically is something that can prevent a malicious actor from incurring on their airspace. Um, Wait, you're trying to tell us that... <gasps> Oh, no, geofencing isn't the end-all, be-all, cure-all. It's, it has a little more snake oil to it? I mean, basically, it's, it's, it's software. And, and you know, this, this stuff is meant to be um, you know, taken with a grain of salt, as far as I'm concerned. There's, there's a bit of marketing to it, uh, and, and there's also a bit of good intent. But at the end of the day, uh, I don't think it's doing what they're pitching or selling it to people as, as doing a simple example of that is, uh, in my opinion, their very necessary reaction to add Mosul and Syria to the geofencing. Um, the problem with that is, is it didn't actually do anything. There were a number of ways to bypass it, including a roll of foil. And now it's come out that the red herring is revealed that you can actually root the entire aircraft and the underlying operating system that also implies that you should be able to get full control back of, of any software limitation that they put out as well. Wow. I mean, those are some pretty heavy, uh, lots of information to kind of un- unwrap a little bit because you brought up the, the geofencing not only as addressing some of the flight restriction concerns of people with the firefighting and airports. How do we keep uh, unwanted drones out of our airspace from causing collisions? But also from a national security issue of over in Iraq and in Syria, how that was one way DJI was touting or saying, hey, we recognize some of our aircraft are being used for nefarious purposes, will install these no-fly zones. And and you had something to do with some of that awareness of why are we, you know, we won't let them fly over an airport here, but we know they're causing harm overseas. Why can't we do the same there? Yeah, and in talking with those folks uh, kind of privately, uh, it, it's my understanding that uh those are their decisions to make and that they haven't specifically been forced by any government or outside entity. Um, and, and of course you can take that with a grain of salt. It's third party information, uh, based on, you know, like I said, a private conversation, but nonetheless, that is my understanding. So 
that makes it interesting to me, uh, again, based on uh, the varying amounts of public pressure to have certain areas uh, fenced off versus not, uh, even down to the level of pilots that have problems that they can't fly in their own airspace. Uh, I've said many times I live under uh, OSU Airport's airspace, um, which is, you know, the largest, you know, air- airport in, in my area apart from, you know, CMH. So uh, I, I I actually watch MedFlight, for example, fly back and forth um, over my area. <laughs> and oddly enough, I had to choose some folks out for doing a DJI pilot experience and failing to note that the airport was right there uh, while they had, you know, 30 to 50 random experienced pilots demoing their new Phantom 3 aircraft right in the middle of this no-fly zone. Uh, so, so, we're, so we're using no-fly zone loosely, uh, not necessarily government policy, but certainly not company policy. They're following themselves. Yeah, it's... it's uh, like I said, it's an interesting conversation, and that's kind of why I'm I'm piping up the way I am because I think it's there's a lot of farce in the conversation. Um, e- even if you again look at pilots that say that hey, this this fence in my area is drawn incorrectly, or hey, this airport doesn't even exist anymore yet, you have it marked as somewhere that I can't fly. Um, it just seems like there's a lot of missteps in the implementation. Uh, and one of those missteps is in the security. Um, so, uh, again, back to my humble opinion, do it right or hang it up. Well, and that's even on the assumption that, and we've certainly highlighted on past buzz off shows, that geolocational data isn't an exact, I mean, it, it can be off. And it, heaven forbid, so not only can the data you're using to create this fence be wrong uh, just through no fault of any you know, intentional effort, but it, then drawing maps and trying to say, as you're pointing out, some of it's just outdated, wrong, and at the same time, some of it's just ignored or not applicable. They're trying to raise a bar. They've said that they don't want to be in an arms race over this stuff. The, the, the mere presence of the system alone has turned it into one uh, against their own users, as well as people that may potentially be malicious. Um, but it's 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 difficult. They, uh, they they push it as a way for authorized pilots to be able to fly where they're allowed to to do so. And it, it's funny for me to hear that word tossed around. Um, and, and this is probably even an antiquated term in in, in the security community. But you, you remember AAA, you know, authentication, authorization, and accounting. You know, uh, what they're pushing goes hand-in-hand hand with two other things. It doesn't work alone. Um, and in my opinion, for them to be able to authenticate their data sources, to use them for authorization, they need to have security. Um, and, and they're obviously attempting to do accounting uh, so that if there is an incident, that they've got the ability to say, hey, we saw this serial number in this fenced off area and, you know, the go apps and its location back to where we are. So this is what we can tell you about the user of that app. Well, and it's, as you've pointed out, there's a lot of elements that are not being addressed yet. And we will pick up some of that right after this commercial break, but you're listening to buzz off with lawyer Liz on America's web radio and Pardon us while we jump to commercial. 
Michael Connolly inviting you to listen each Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern to my show, Our Constitution, only on America's Web Radio. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio, chatting drones, jailbreaking, and geofencing as part of the bigger security picture with Kevin Finisere of Department 13. And Kevin, just as any good lawyer, I give a a release or a warning at the beginning of the show that while I am a lawyer, the Buzz Off show is not legal advice. Uh, It should be important to note that while you are currently working with Department 13, your research really predates by several years. I mean, you are not new to this field. So while it overlaps with work and allows you to provide, I guess, that additional expertise uh this is not all stuff you're doing on company time correct that is correct and actually this this past week was great for me uh my my son was out at camp and my wife was on vacation so i pretty much had seven days to myself uh so lots of red bull was drank uh many things were typed into slack and all the things were owned as it were uh, I was going to say, including Red Bull and Red Herrings. I mean, it it certainly took off. Uh, you took over the Twitterverse and the rest of it with us. So, uh, but getting back, so with the geofencing, and we were talking about how that, sh- that should be only one piece of the pie, the AAA, and really when it started coming to light through the jailbreaking highlighting some of the security issues i mean what what were the what were the red herrings that you started following so again the original one was just the vulnerability that pov had put out so that was what took up the biggest time and at the end of the day what it was was there was a vulnerability in busybox that uh, could be triggered through ftp uh, via a tar file uh, that was pushed down to the ftp server um, I was originally, coincidentally enough, using the no-fly zone update function inside of DJI's Assistant app, uh, which ties into the story because I figured out how to unlock the debugging settings into that, which led to uh, a good chunk of what the community is doing now. So uh, through these, these, these various settings that I, I figured out, I was able to push a tar file down to the drone, get it to unpack, 
which triggered a, a known vulnerability in BusyBox that allowed you to write a file anywhere on the file system. So that, that basically confirmed all of those little loose hints that POV had left the community over the past nine months and allowed me to root DJI Spark initially. Um, and from there, uh, with, with the work of some folks that, that wound up in, uh, in Slack and off of a Hack5 forum post, uh, we were able to turn that into a full compromise across the entire DJI product line in, in its current generation. Um, so to play on poor DJI's naming uh, bad puns, uh, the Spark truly started... Uh, and spread across the whole platform. So there was not anything y'all couldn't, didn't own. That, that, so speak? Is, that is very accurate. And, and so what happened was on July 4th, uh, I, I published the, the red herring exploit, uh, which included a package called fireworks.tar. And inside of that tar file was basically an exploit that allowed you to enable ADB access on DJI Spark. Um, and again, now uh, that technique has been turned into something that can enable ADB access across the entire product line, including the goggles that are out now. Uh, so what that's done is, is really opened up their product line to uh, the traditional uh, cell phone jailbreaking scene, where you've got basically... Uh, the jailbreak itself, which is usually just a root exploit, which leads to access to the file system. And it's just generically been called jailbreaking or rooting. Um, and then uh, you also get tweaks where people can modify settings and, and maybe change things, even if it's just a simple background color on their phone. Um, so we've got the equivalent of tweaks now for, for DJI Aircraft. And then mods, which would be different software updates uh, that, that may not come with the aircraft or in, in traditional sense of phone. Uh, so we, we basically have the buddings of, of what we have in, in, in the cell phone world right now uh, coming to DJI's aircraft specifically and, and realistically other vendors as well as, as people figure out how the internals of their aircraft work. Well, and you raise an important point in the cell phone analogy is that not all jailbreaking mods, you know, tweaks are bad or nefarious. Uh, there may just be someone has in their spare time developed code that will make the aircraft, you know, that will improve it, uh, improve its flight times or improve its telemetry or improve different things that just because they're not part of the DJI ecosystem, it, it kind of allows them to do it. It's, you know, think of, I always think of people in the garage at home working on their car. It's like, well, I've made it more fuel efficient, but I'm not a Ford mechanic. So therefore Ford doesn't you know, send this out. This is a home, home design. Yep. So that, that's a really good point. And I've, I've kind of been accused in an article that came out yesterday of, of enabling people to, you know, uh, do things that are malicious. And I could disagree with that for a number of reasons, but I wanted to point out specifically, I haven't directly enabled anybody to do anything. Uh, the first thing that I did was showed that the application that DJI gives out with every drone and everybody uses to configure their drone has the ability to accept command line options. So if you run it on the command line and supply the minus H flag, it will give you the help, which tells you that there's a debugger hidden inside. 
And their their term debugger actually just means that it opens up all of the hidden functionality in the DJI application that you as an end user typically don't have. So, One of those things happen to be the ability to edit parameters, for example. I was going to say, and uh, somewhat of a Spider-Man spoiler alert, so anyone who hasn't seen Homecoming earmuffs for a second, but... It, just as Peter Parker did with his suit, I mean, there were functionality that, for various reasons, they just didn't make public to everyone. And so you just provide, you showed everyone and said, hey, look, if you go down this path, look what's there and those options. I mean, it wasn't, it, it wasn't adding anything that wasn't already Exactly. Underneath the surface. So there, there's two there's two bits to that. One is the application itself, and, and the second part of this is in parallel in the community. Uh, there was a company called CopterSafe uh, that was selling a exploit, if you will, if you want to call it that, uh, that would tweak your settings on your aircraft to disable the no fly zone, uh, enable them to fly faster, uh, and maybe like use a third party battery. They had some basically some options depending on how much you paid. Uh, so the community was already privately trading exploits for DJI's aircraft um, that coincidentally happened to turn out to be just modifications and settings that you could send a number of ways, uh, including one way via the assistance debugger options. Uh, the community also figured out that they could modify DJI's Go app and change the settings directly in the app as well. So there's there's three techniques that were available to change these settings. And, and by the way, the no-fly zone is only one of those settings. There's literally like 350 settings in, in, in this that, that can be altered that uh, change how the aircraft behaves. Uh, one in particular was I think people for years have been asking DJI to put out a mode where people can, I think, fly what you call rate mode. So you can do a flip and a roll and, and, you know, do more advanced flight capability. And they've refused to enable that feature for their user base. Well, guess what? It was literally one setting change away from being able <laughs> to be something that folks could use. So, But you hadn't paid the money to do that. I mean, that's right. <laughs> really what it comes down to it. And and so you're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, and we're talking with uh, Kevin uh, on the trouble. I say the trouble, but the noise, the arm waving you've been doing, the red herrings you've been raising in the drone community, but the larger business community as well, pointing out what lies beneath the surface on some of these aircraft. So and, yeah, so so once you started finding, I mean, th- there was 350 different settings that had just been disabled or not enabled yet. Really, what happened? How did it snowball from there? So basically, paying Copter Safe users started coming forward and uh, having people uh, run their binaries so that they could extract the settings that it changed uh, from within. So there were a number of folks that had posted how to change the speed settings, uh, go into sport mode. It was pretty pretty well public knowledge uh, that you could sniff the serial port and extract the data that CopterSafe was sending. 
Uh, so one gentleman who isn't really even worth me mentioning, so I'm not even going to say his name, uh, came along and bought the no-fly zone disable, uh, participated in the open conversation about how to extract uh, these parameters from his binary, and then subsequently went on the Internet, uh, created a new Facebook group, and was like, hey, we've unlocked everything. Here's the no-fly zone bypass. Um, you guys should go fly in front of jets and stuff. Um, and that oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, and that kind of started the uh, big boom in the information getting out as far as the no-fly zone specific aspect of it. Um, and that led to, uh, again, not only the existing copter safe place that you could pay for it, but people using the assistant application to change those parameters that were now fully public. Um, so in reaction, uh, DJI pulled the firmware off of their servers uh, that, that everybody would call vulnerable, if you will, uh, that was vulnerable to uh, this parameter editing attack specifically as it applied to the no-fly zone. Um, they left the ability to disable the height limitations and a whole bunch of other stuff, but they specifically disabled the function that prevented uh, the airport bypass. So they did, I mean, how responsive have they been through all this? I mean, it's not like, as you pointed out, this was all... It, almost inevitable uh, that research would kind of, you want to kick the tires and find it, but how responsive have they been? So we're going to have to tease it before we go to our next commercial break. I would say they've been more reactive than responsive, and, and they directly said that in one of their recent news articles, that they would be silently pushing out changes to the application uh, in response. And silently responding, I mean, that's when they first started initiating some of these updates and adding the no-fly zones to uh, war zone type areas or, you know, conflict areas, there wasn't a lot of splash about that either. Yeah, that was that was basically silent until I revealed the, the database had, had had the Syria edition specifically, um, and that kind of opened the dialogue on when and why those changes get added, for example. So in there was a bit of a sorry and, and rightly so because just because they haven't announced it or haven't spoken about it doesn't mean it's not important to have the you know that the conversation shouldn't be having how how did that research uh, how well received was your pointing out that part I, I think it's mixed depending on who you talk to I mean certainly as an operator or you know working in uh, environments where we want to restrict it as well as just a public citizen out there. Some of the flight areas and having everyone fly is not always or a concern, but we'll pick that right back up after this commercial break. You're listening to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, 
have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you will be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Catch us each Wednesday from 2 to 3 in the afternoon on americaswebradio.com or find the Lawyer Liz podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, your favorite iTunes streaming service. And especially when we get to talk with folks like Kevin, who has been stirring the pot in the drone world and Kevin before the break we were talking about kind of the different layers and how with the you know geofencing and uh, the jailbreaking so fast forward a little bit what where do you see or what's kind of popping up next let me uh, let, let me finish that last bit that we were talking on because there was one real important piece um, uh, back to that you know, an individual hinting that I was uh, an enabler of some sort. Um, and, and the one thing that I wanted to point out is I, th- I think people that are using this line of commentary are often leaving out one really, really critical piece of this topic. And, and that is that for years, RC aircraft owner have been out there, uh, owners rather, have been out there operating without geofencing, without any sort of restriction. And more importantly, in the past five to 10 years, people have been flying with FPV, um, not line of sight. Uh, and so I, I think to imply that a small subset of, of users in a larger group having uh, an artificial limitation uh, that's been imposed on their aircraft bypassed, I think claiming that that provides any more of a threat than the general RC community alone is where some of the farce in this conversation lies. So that's something I really wanted to point out. And as far as the enabling goes, uh, if, if you want to get really pedantic about it, in my opinion, DJI's mistake of leaving debug code in a public release application coupled with the choice of having their no-fly zone system literally controlled by a one or a zero that's the ultimate enabler at the end of the day, and that doesn't have anything to do with me. No, that, that certainly goes to the bigger picture of security has been an afterthought, uh, both the physical as well as the systems, the information, the data security on a lot of these, because I think there's just part of the transition from hobbyist fields to the battlefield to the construction and airfield. I mean, it, it, you can't blame people for doing what they've all, always done and always will do. And they're just, you're just shining a light on something. If it wasn't you, it was going to be someone else. In fact, it had been other people, just not quite as bright of a light, so to speak. 
So, yeah, it's an interesting conversation, and that's, you know, again, uh, kind of why I've done some of the hand-waving and, and, as it were, thrown out some additional red herrings in addition to the one that POV threw out for the community, um, because there's, there's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about. Um, and uh, quite honestly, you know, I've, I've been in the security industry for, you know, 20 years at this point, and... Proof of concept is something that works. Uh, people can have subjective conversations all day long. Um, you know, I, I, for example, was one of the first people to release a SCADA exploit. And, you know, the big line back then was, oh, my God, people are going to die when SCADA exploits hit. And guess what? I don't think anybody died. Um, and if they did, it was probably the result of some other, you know, errors and, and implementation issues that ultimately didn't have anything to do with what I disclosed. Um, so, the- well, especially if if you have faulty brake, you know, bad brakes on your car, just because you you know, crash for some other reason, doesn't mean you weren't ever going to need to use the brakes. I mean, it's just it, there's all kinds of analogies. It's lurking there beneath the surface, and if you know about it, you can address it, you can fix it, but. If everyone well, pretends like use that line actually, because uh, back in two thousand one, when I disclosed the vulnerabilities in HP's True sixty four, a lot of people got upset about that. And the analogy that I used was more relevant to something that was in the news. But I said, uh, it, "It's not my fault that your Ford Explorer has crap tires." I just pointed it out. Exactly, and once you know, you can get new tires. <laughs> Right. So then that's part of full disclosure um, is, in, in my opinion, uh, disclosing something fully to the public allows the public to make an educated decision. Maybe I am full of shit. Maybe I am just waving my arms around. And I don't know anything. You know, that, that that's completely fair. If the information is fully out there, you can make that decision and people can write news articles about how Kevin Finisterre is full of it and whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, it gives you the ability to uh, decide how you want to mitigate that choice um, and also engages a larger public dialogue to help the vendor figure out, is this something that they care about? And at the end of the day, help shape how they're going to respond in the future. Well, and so if everyone is relying on geofencing and some of these other, you know, the flight limitations, that's assuming that all is going to work properly, that heaven's forbid there's just a glitch where, well, okay, you told the aircraft to go up and it gained altitude and then it lost, you know, there was a glitch in the software and so it was still going up even with geofencing enabled or you know other limitations. What do we do then? And you know, so kind of going to the bigger picture, what do you see as the next steps? So, um, luckily, this this root exploit uh, that we've uncovered, and there are other ones, um, uh, basically has led to us figuring out that we can essentially fully control DJI's aircrafts. Um, we figured out... Uh, this is a good thing. It, it is, because there are people that, um, you know, look back to the John Deere conversations. People want to be able to repair their aircraft, just like they want to be able to repair their tractors. They don't want to be able to... Um, you know, have to force, be forced to rely on DJI specifically to fix something for them. Um, so one thing that we noticed in reaction to the firmware changes was that they started, uh, also pushing out changes to the assistant application, uh, that was used to, uh, make the changes in the first place and configure the aircraft. 
So a lot of people noted over the July 4th weekend that they got an error message that popped up that said that their backend servers weren't accessible. Um, and because of that, they couldn't access certain features. People claimed they couldn't fly. Um, so we as end users had lost a certain level of control there. Um, so with these root exploits, we've been able to figure out the protocols by which the drones apply updates to themselves, for example. So all of those updates that they took from us, essentially, uh, if, if somebody has archived them, they now have the ability to restore their aircraft back to the previous state, for example, as it was when it came from the factory. Um, and that's important because uh, at one point there was a public statement that these firmware changes and these software updates would never be mandatory. And there's been some things that have implied that that isn't exactly the case, such as opening up your DJI Go app and seeing a message that says, your app needs to be updated, and the only button being update. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do those updates address, I mean, when you have mandatory updates, they don't give a lot of wiggle room for what may have been authorized modifications that DJI had approved on a particular aircraft or for its research purposes or other purposes that suddenly is now worthless? I mean, uh, to, to be fair, and again, getting back to being pedantic, uh, you are not forced to install the software updates as far as I know. Um, I mean, you can not push that update button. Uh, you can choose to not fly with their application. Uh, I don't know what happens if you use third-party SDKs, but I believe they made a statement that said if you choose not to authenticate to our servers or authenticate via, via the SDK, uh, you'll be limited to 168 feet in altitude and however far in distance or something like that. Um, so they, they've made the choice that if you choose to opt out of using these not mandatory software updates, that your aircraft will have its functionality limited, as it were. Well, it, it's not quite the level of the John Deere example where suddenly you have a worthless tractor in the field, but certainly not the functionality that you may have you know been counting on uh, yeah, and and that that I would say is probably a subjective argument depending on who you are and what your line of business is I've, I've got a friend for example that has an inspire 2 uh, that has had a, a contract at a uh, military airport here um, for a number of months and has been un- unable to fly his contract work because of DJI's no fly zone. And he's multiple times used their application, sent in the forms, and all this nonsense, and has been completely unable to get his authorization. So that's his business. That's how he puts food on the table at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. You might argue a little differently than I do. I, at the end of the day, don't think it's that big of a deal because now we've got full control of the aircraft, and I can put whatever I want on the thing. Well, it's slightly different, too, than when you've got the Teslas that do the staged rollout of their updates where they kind of have the test group, then the second group, the third group, and it's done when the car's turned off. Uh Yeah, DJI just doesn't have a good track record when it comes to some of those and again, to be fair, it, it goes across the board. It just happens to be that this is who you see everywhere. I mean, everyone tends to be, I forget their market share in the U.S., but it's pretty high. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they claim to be the number one, I believe, and I don't think anybody really contests that. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's interesting to see what they'll do moving forward. Like they said, they're going to be silently trying to combat what has come from, you know, the jailbreaking modification and, and tweaking scene. Uh, they said they didn't want to be in an arms race, but I, I think even openly stating that they're going to make silent changes to address this stuff, that's about as deep in an arms race as you can get. Well, and it's just because you're not saying it doesn't mean you haven't been in it. I mean, it, uh, the news is full of stories of people doing this or doing that. It, be it just as, you know, basic as strapping explosive devices or other things to their aircraft. It, it, they have been in a literal and figurative arms race for a while now. And I, I think that's something that uh, is, is difficult to get them to publicly acknowledge, unfortunately. Um, I think there's even a video of, of one of their staff floating around somewhere literally saying he's not aware of their customers weaponizing their aircraft. And it's like, okay, guys, the first oh. problem is admitting that you have a problem. Exactly. Oh, dear. Uh, denial <laughs> is not just in Egypt, perhaps, uh, even in Syria. Uh, but... It, that's a, that is an unfortunate. Well, and how do you get them to pay attention to the other, not just the physical security? You know, is this the wake up call that, or the public wake up call that was needed? I, I hope so. I mean, again, I, I I usually wave my arms around for a reason. Some people get it, some people don't. Uh, we'll figure out if they got it real soon. So, any teasers for your next bit of? Uh, tire kicking, or are you still just trying to have some fun with this one? <laughs> I'm still deeply entrenched in catching up from what I've done here. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to head to DEF CON next week. The plan is to bring some DJI aircraft with me, maybe do a little impromptu hack session with some folks and see if we can make some more progress here. Um, but yeah, that, that's about it right now. We're, we're uh, it, it would be cool to have the equivalent of Cydia uh, like you have in, in, in the jailbreaking phone world for DJI aircraft to where you could just, you know, download and push whatever firmware version you want and uh, any software package and mod and settings, tweak, yeah. whatever. So we'll figure out if we get there or not. Excellent. Well, and thank you. Thank you, Kevin, first of all, for joining us, but also thank you for the tease. Uh, Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz will be out in Las Vegas capturing all the Information Security Hacking DEFCON Fun. And catch us next week on Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz on America's Web Radio. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.